as an author, when you write a book, everybody you know believes that it's not really fiction. And certainly some of these characters are drawn from real life. I've even had people say, I know you made that character based on me. And I'm like, what the bleep are you talking about? I mean, that just wasn't even anywhere near my thinking. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. This is Thursday morning when we're recording this. We normally record in the evenings or the afternoons, but the NCAA basketball tournament starts today. So I made sure that Taylor was going to be... We would be finished with this recording before the game started at noon. Taylor, what are you doing? Um, you know, <laughs> basketball's not really my thing, Steve. All right. Just so you know, uh, Taylor and I talk from time to time on Skype when we're not recording, and she will just start firing away like that on her keyboard, and it is so loud and it is so explosive that I think to myself, if she's sending an email, I hope she's not sending that email to me because she sounds really mad. <laughs> <laughs> so what, do you, what is it you type when you're banging away at the keyboard like that? This right now? Yeah, that, that. Um, that's just, um, right now I'm just answering a one line in an email. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I had an idea. I have to put that down in my document before I forget it. You know, just a note to myself real quick. And just so everybody knows, I really try hard not to disrespect Steve like that. We wanted to let you hear what it was like because we thought it's not fair that he gets to hear this and you don't get to hear it. <laughs> and and it's, it's funny because like, I'm not really typing very fast right now because I'm focusing in on what Steve is saying, but when I'm actually <laughs> typing, it sounds like a machine gun. It does. It up. actually sounds like a machine gun in the background. We're talking about characters today. We've had uh, uh, several questions. Thanks to everybody that's sending in the questions. We've actually, what, what our process is, is when we get questions in, I put them on a list. Taylor sends them to me. I put them on a list, try and combine them whenever possible. And we've got two questions that uh, make sense to be combined today. They are both about uh, creating characters. So the first one is how many characters are too many? And how do you choose names so they are different and distinguishable easily to readers? The first question, which is how many characters are too many, um, that's going to completely depend on the story. Um, you know, I haven't read Game of Thrones, but I know that there are a bazillion characters in those books. And um, he, he does amazing at keeping them all straight and stuff. But your average run-of-the-mill, non-epic fantasy is probably going to have far fewer characters. And I think really what the question boils down to is how many point of view characters. Um, because the story could have a huge cast of characters and it not feel like too many as long as the point of view characters aren't overwhelming. And I don't, you know, anything that comes with writing, it's, there's going to be generalizations. There's no hard and fast rule of the way. There's only what's working for that particular story. But with that said... 
generally, once you start getting over three or four point of view characters for your normal everyday story, it, it begins to be too much. And the reason for this is that when you're writing a point of view character, you're crawling into their head and you're bringing them to life. And that life comes with a lot of texture and depth and uh, often little things from backstory or whatever. And so the more point of view characters you have in the story, the bigger the book is going to end up being because of all those little extras that get added in along the way. So if the story really is about those people and it's it's, it's character driven, then you're probably going to end up with more point of view characters than you would in a story that's completely plot driven because you, you do have a limited number amount of words and you don't, if, if you're going for plot, you won't have that wiggle room to to spend as much time developing the characters, which is what happens when you're you're doing it through their point of view. All right, now I'm I'm going to expand the question a little bit because you're interpreting it one way and I'm interpreting it a different way, and I'm I'm okay. not sure what the listener was actually uh, thinking. But in in my mind, the question is how many characters are too many? Not necessarily point of view characters, but characters in general. And I'll use as an example: I was out with some friends the other night, and I saw a book. And I said, oh, I love that book. And the, the person said, oh, well, I used to like this author, but now he writes so many characters that it confuses me and I don't read him anymore. And wow. I, I think they're actually talking about the number of – essentially the number of named characters in the book where it can become too much or too many to keep track of as a reader. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question then because it – it's going to depend on the story. What does the story need? I mean, you don't want to throw in characters just for the sake of having characters. But if the story requires the character to really be able to tell the story, then you don't want to not have those characters either. It's like reading is a really personal experience, too. And what one person loves, another person's going mm -hmm. to hate. So you can't structure your storytelling around thinking that you can find the magic balance that everybody will love. You've just got to tell the story, uh, but don't include so many in that it's unnecessary. Whatever's there needs to belong there. It needs to belong there for a reason. And one of the things that will often happen with uh, agents and editors who are working with first-time authors is they will often say, well, I understand why you've put these characters in here, it's because you're trying to show X, Y, and Z. But if you combined characters two, three, and four together and, and change their, that story arc into one, you could show all those same things without having to have all those separate characters. So if you're adding a character just to show a specific thing, it, it might be worthwhile taking a step back and going, is there any way any of my existing characters can accomplish that same purpose? All right, and I'm, I'm guessing that's what the listener was talking about. If so, then we've answered the question. If not, we've answered uh, another question. <laughs> and that, if not, come back at us, and we'll try again. We'll give but I, I know that's something that I've, I've dealt with myself. I, it's like the only reason I have this character in here is to say this one line. I can eliminate the character and have someone else say that line, and it makes it easier for the reader. Right, or the character, your main hero is trying to get some information or, you know, there's just so many different reasons that there are characters because of that continual need to show, not tell. Um, sometimes you can eliminate a character by just saying, 
and he talked to the guy in the laundromat down the street who told him X, Y, Z. And then you don't need to have a whole scene with the guy in the laundromat, which is an additional character. So that's another another way of doing it. So the, the other part of that question that you asked was, how do you keep the characters consist, uh, unique so that they're not confused? Is, the is names. The keep the, the names, names unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is one of those things that I can actually say I learned from the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was writing The Informationist, I don't know how it happened, but nearly every single character had a last name that started with B. And I didn't even, I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't deliberate. It just, that's how it worked out. And it was pointed out to me when the book was nearly finished. And by that time, I had grown hugely attached to the names of the main characters. And I couldn't change them. I was like, no, this is who they are now. But I did go through the book and change as many other non-B names, I mean, any, any other B names that were in there to other, to other names. And some of them still escaped. Um, just I wasn't aware of it at all as I was doing it. And when I, um, I got edited, I, I, I mentioned it to my editor. And I said, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a problem. And she's like, oh, I, I didn't even notice it. You know, it, to her, the names were, even though they started with Bs, they were very distinct in their um, spelling and, and what have you. But like I'd said before, reading is a very personal experience. And what works for one person doesn't work for the next. And oh, my God, I heard from so many people. Why did you do that? Were, were you just trying to mess with the reader? You know, oh, or, or, in, or in reviews, oh, I hate it when these authors think they're so smart and they're just going to, you know, anyway. Um, so I learned the hard way. <laughs> Keep those names distinct, right? So how do you do it? What, do you have like a list of character names that as you're developing them, you put them on the list so that you can look to make sure they're not too dissimilar? Or do you have some other trick? Well, for starters, now I try very hard that because I have a Michael Monroe, I try very hard to never have another character with the last name. Because I, I refer to most of my characters by their last names. But if I was writing a book wherein most characters were referred by their first names, I would do the same process, but just keeping in mind how these characters are going to be called. So I tried never to have a character with the last name that starts with M because I've already got a Michael and a Monroe. I try and make sure now that every character, the last name starts with a different letter than um, other characters in the book. Uh, when I wrote The Mask, my editor did ask me to change a last name because it was, in her mind, too similar. I, uh, to me, it wasn't, but that's because I'm a little more familiar with the Japanese last names, and it was very easy for me to distinguish one from the other. But as soon as she said that, I didn't even bother arguing, because I've been down that road before. And if someone's telling me it's hard for me to keep these characters separate because of their names, I'm changing the name. That, that is absolutely non-negotiable. That name is getting changed. So... I, I try very hard to make sure that there's no similarities in um, f- what I call it phonemics, the way something sounds when you roll off your tongue. So even if, if something starts with an L and something else starts with an M, but there's still a similar mouth sound or mouth feel to the rest of the name, it could be confused. So I try and make sure that 
to, to break that up. But then it goes even a step further, and this is where it gets really funny, is now I've got a lot of characters in multiple books. So if, they've, if a character has had that first name or that last name before, I can't use it anymore. And I can't use anything that's super similar to that. But I, I really try and use common names because the more complicated the name is, the more difficult it is for a reader to read it in their head. And it interrupts the reading experience. And especially when I'm doing foreign names, I don't, I'm not always geographically aware enough to know that somebody from the south of Italy is going to have a different type of name than somebody from the north of Italy. And then you put them in the wrong place and somebody who's familiar is going to go, that's just, you know, bullcrap. So I try and find very common names that are likely to be found across wide geographical areas. But a lot of common names in the world are repeated <laughs> from country to country to country. So my list of names that I can use starts getting narrowed down. Then you add on to that, when you're writing as an author, when you write a book, everybody you know believes that it's not really fiction. And certainly some of these characters are drawn from real life. I've even had people say, I know you made that character based on me. And I'm like, what the bleep are you talking about? I mean, that just wasn't even anywhere near my thinking. So now I have to be careful not to use names that actually belong to people that I know. But I know a lot of people. And as my fan base grows, I know even more people. And so I'm always like, well, I can't use that name because I know someone who has that last name. And I know someone who has that last name. And so my own personal <laughs> repertoire of names that I can use keeps shrinking with every book that I write. Uh, do you have a master list for, for the series? No, I don't. I have a... I've over-relied on a memory that's probably going to start failing me soon. A list oh, probably. I can tell you in dealing with you over the course of the last year doing this podcast that that's a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And um, maybe I should have a master list. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the second question, which is also about character, but this is about character arcs. So I'll read the question. Okay. It's kind of a lengthy question. How do you handle character growth over a series? Characters should obviously show some growth in each novel, but if I am planning on keeping my main character and a few minor characters around for more than one novel, then not all flaws slash issues can be resolved. For example, there are many thriller characters that feel their lifestyle causes those around them to be in danger. If that issue is resolved, then a good source of tension is removed. Or are there smaller ways a character can still show growth so that we, the audience, don't feel like they are stuck? And that's, that's a lot of question in, uh, in, one, yeah. in, in one question. So maybe we, maybe we want to break it down a little bit. Well, I'll do my best. And then if you feel like I've missed any aspects of them, let's just go back to those. But um, it's a really good question. I'm coming from it from a couple of different perspectives. The first is that, you know, someone who is already published is going to have a different viewpoint than someone who's not been published on this. And the reason for this is that you when you when you're already published, you you know what to expect. You know that you'll probably be able to sell another book. 
and you can, or you may have more than one book in your contract. So you can plan a longer arc like that with the expectation that it's going to be used. Whereas when you're writing a first book, or if you're writing one book at a time, you don't actually know what's going to happen. So it's, it's good to be mindful of the possibility that this character might have a very long, lustrous life, but you don't want to um, stifle the character thinking, oh, if I do this, then I won't have that available for the next book. And I can give a good example of that that happened by chance to me with The Informationist, and I'm going to try not to do any spoilers here for anybody who might not have read it. But in the in the informationist, there is a there are people in the main character's life who are integral to her who she is as a person, and there comes a point in the story where um, one of them may or may not actually make it, and that scene in the story pretty much is the knife in the stomach. It's knife in the stomach. And um, it gives the entire book a certain weight and gravitas and just emotional punch that it never would have had had that scene not been in there. When I was writing The Informationist, I did not know if I'd ever even publish it, much less that there would be a second book. So I didn't stop to think, well, oh my God, what's going to happen if we get to book two and how is this going to affect the future? I just, it needed to be in the story. I didn't want it to be in the story because I was weeping, but it needed to be there. And so it stayed. And by doing that, it, when the future books came around, it was something I had to work around. It, 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 it couldn't be there because the, it's already imprinted. It, it, the decision had been made, and, and I had to live with that. And going back, if I look back on it and I'm asked, you know, if you could do it all over again, would you do it differently? That's a really, really hard call because it would have been really nice to be able to be able to have that in, as a series progressed. But at the same time, that first book wouldn't have been what it was without it. So the point to this little uh, story here is that you need to write the book that you're writing right now and not worry about what comes next. And if this story that you're writing calls for uh, relieving that that conflict, for example, the, the example that the listener asked in terms of, you know, maybe their lifestyle puts their family in danger, and if that is resolved, then they no longer have that source of conflict. If that is integral to the plot of the story, don't hold it back. Take it. Punch it. Do whatever you need to to take that character to its full growth in that particular story. Uh, Because when it's time for the next one, you can create more conflict. You can create another source of of, uh, inner turmoil for your character. There's always crap happening. And that crap has to be integral to the plot. So if in this example, the character putting his loved ones at danger is a source of internal conflict for the character, but not integral to the plot, then there's no no reason to resolve it. It can it can continue. But if the plot is based on that, 
you are doing your readers a disservice by holding back just to have something to save for the next story. I think that answers the question perfectly. And I, I'd say that adding inner turmoil is a way of kicking your writing in the butt one word at a time. <laughs> I don't know why, but it makes me laugh. Every, I, I never see it coming. I never see it coming. And it makes me laugh every single time. All right. This has been fun. What's our call to action today? We didn't talk about this at all ahead of time because we were so excited about the basketball game. And when I say we, I mean me. And here I start typing again, clickety click. <laughs> um, I, I really want more questions. I need, you know, this is your show, you guys. And if you're enjoying it, we need the questions to be able to help you kick writing in the butt. If we have no questions, you're just going to either have no show or have me and Steve talking about basketball. <laughs> All right. Now, that sounds like fun. Now, I will say that we have several questions queued up. So it, it's not like we're in danger of not having a show next Correct. week, including, yes. uh, including uh, a few that we're combining together to put together a little bit of a series that will be coming up um, maybe as soon as with the next episode. I'm not sure. It depends on how quickly we can put this together. But in the case of this show, we put two questions together to form a show. Some questions are smaller. Some questions uh, take an entire show to answer. And one question that we had is uh, is going to be the basis for a, probably a three-episode series. So uh, any question, no matter how large or small, send it to Taylor, which is contact at taylorstevensbooks.com. Correct. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and enjoy the basketball. <laughs> Be with you next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>